show ride. How's it going? Doing all right? Everybody doing okay? Need anything? Coffee? Water? Anything? Good? All right. My name is Chris. If we haven't met each other, I'm the, hey, hey, I'm the teaching pastor here. Uh, it's good to see you all. So we are in um, our Values in the Kingdom series, and we've been talking about owning a supernatural lifestyle. And Katie, hey, Katie, Katie, you got to sit You got to sit down. <laughs> it's my wife. No, it's fine. One of the things that we've hit pretty hard in this value is prayer, right? And that's been good. Uh, but this morning, I just want to uh, hit the pause button and talk about the elephant in the room for a minute. And that is, why are, are so many of our prayers answered and so many of our prayers uh, at the same time are not answered? Let's be honest. Prayer is one of the most beautiful, perplexing things imaginable, right? I, th- I think we all have these stories, those of us who have prayed, of this, of this moment where something was happening and we, and we wanted this thing or we didn't want this thing. And we prayed and we prayed and we prayed and we, we, th- we threw it out there and God rescued us in our dilemma. And then there's the other side of prayer that we don't talk about a whole lot where there's these moments where we're just laying ourselves out to God and we're going, I mean, sh- I mean surely, surely God wants my marriage reconciled. You know, surely God wants my child not to be sick. He wants my business to be held together. Surely God wants that and he's going to answer. And then it goes silent. Or the answer is unbelievably perplexing. But this happens, right? This is legit, right? So let's, let's chat about that for a bit. Why are so many of our prayers answered and so many of our prayers at the same time not answered? And how do we live in attention? Um, so first slide. In John fourteen thirteen, it says... And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. How do we square Jesus' promise to answer prayer with the reality that we all have unanswered prayers? So here's a plan. There's a a book out called God on Mute by Pete Grieg. He's a charismatic Anglican. He's from London. Uh, He's he's the head of a 24-7 prayer, which is an international prayer movement. And he has maybe the best book I've ever come across on unanswered prayer, God on Mute. And uh, all I want to do today is just like summarize the book. All right? It's more like a book report than it is a sermon, honestly, because it's that good. So if you, want to go, if you want to go deeper, pick up that book, God on Mute by Pete Grieg. All right? So we have a lot of ground to cover. Pete has 15 reasons, okay? This may be the first ever 15-point sermon here at the Upper Room. We're going to move really fast, okay? So stay with me. 15 reasons that our prayers may go unanswered. Grouped into three categories, God's world, God's will, and God's war. So, f- so first off, God's world. The, the question here is, is, what kind of world are we living in? So why is it that in this world so many prayers go unanswered? Well, reason number one is common sense. Some, some prayers aren't answered because they're just plain stupid. right? That's his language, not mine. But I actually agree with him. So think about it. Some of the things that we pray are kind of really dumb. So how many of you have ever been driving, and you're about to run out of gas, and you pray for a gas station? Like, what exactly are you asking God to do? 
Like drop a gas station in the middle of a corn pasture? Like, and yes, in the language of Jesus, all things are possible with God. But as we'll see, when God intervenes in the, in the natural world, it, it, it can create a number of problems and issues. More on that in a bit. Reason number two is contradiction. Some prayers aren't answered because they contradict other prayers. There are seven plus billion people on the planet. Many of them are praying right now as we speak. It stands to reason that many of those prayers are contradictory. Here's a classic example. Two drivers are circling the parking lot, praying for a parking space. They both love Jesus and go to the upper room. There's one parking space. Uh Uh-oh, we have an existential problem on our hands. Right? A bride is praying for sun on her wedding day. A mile away, a farmer is praying for rain in the middle of a drought. To say yes to one prayer is to say no to another prayer. So someone's prayer is not going to get answered. Reason number three, the laws of nature. Some prayers aren't answered because they would be detrimental to the world and lives of others. So when God created the world, right, he built in laws and principles to make life work. And most of the time, they work very well. Often our prayer is for God to override those laws and principles. So hypothetical situation. If you're in an airplane and it's crashing and you pray for God to save your life, what are you asking God to do? Suspend gravity? If you were to do that, it would create all sorts of problems and issues for the rest of us down here on the ground. So that's a silly example, but for the greater good, sometimes our prayers go unanswered. Reason number four is, life is tough. Some prayers aren't answered because creation is, quote, subjected to frustration and not yet, has not yet been fully liberated from its bondage of decay. That's from Paul's letter to Rome. Tragically, life in such an environment is inevitably going to be acutely difficult at times. One of the things that we've lost sight of in much of America is that life is hard. It's always been hard, and it will always be hard until Jesus returns. Jesus said, in this world, you will face trouble. Peter, in his letter, writes, don't be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. Like when something bad happens to you, don't think it's strange. That's normal life stuff. When you get sick, or lose your job, or your car breaks down, or relationships go south, that's normal life. Nassim Tlaib, in his book, Anti-Fragile, writes about this, this long run of peace and prosperity from, let's say, like the fall of the Berlin Wall, the end of the Cold War to, say, like 9-11, or even like the financial crisis in 2008. And the last few years are kind of global insanity. But he, we have these kind of two or three decade, this two or three decade span of unprecedented peace and prosperity. So that's a long time. But we forget that's not actually actually how the world historically has been. And he makes the point that it's actually created an entire generation that is more emotionally fragile than ever before. Because we expect life to be easy when it's actually really hard. And so we're wrecked by a little bit of trouble. And I can't help but wonder sometimes if we need to adjust our expectations rather than have a crisis of faith every time we bump up against trouble. Reason number five is this, doctrine. Some prayers aren't answered the way we think they should be because our understanding and expectations of God are wrong. So I know a number of people who have lost their faith because of unanswered prayer. And often this is simply due to bad doctrine or bad theology. 
Again, people don't expect life to be hard. And so many of our prayers are aimed at comfort. Or they're aimed at getting rid of any and all trouble from our life. And that's not bad, right? The, the end of the Lord's Prayer, what does Jesus say? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Which could be translated, don't let bad things happen to me. So it's not wrong to pray against bad things in your life. But the reality is, very few of us ask for grace to face bad things in our life with Christ-like character. We need a worldview, a, a thinking view of the world that says suffering is never God's will. But it is a reality on this side of Jesus' return. Now, there are definitely beautiful moments when God steps in and protects you and me from suffering. And those moments are a glimpse of the future. Greg says this, quote, this is the second slide. When these things happen, we are granted a tantalizing foretaste of the new creation in which all things will conspire with unbounded complexity to perpetuate beauty and harmony for the glory of God. That's where we're headed. But we're not there yet. We're still en route. We wait in hope. And we wait in faith. There's this, there's this great story in Daniel about three friends. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In it, they are faced with a choice. Either you bow down to an idol at the center of Babylon or face death in a, in a burning furnace, right? Listen to what they say when they're on trial. This is the third slide. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, listen to this. The God we serve is able to, to deliver us from it. I love that faith. Like, that's a heck of a lot of faith. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But here's the key line. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Notice their faith is deeper than whether or not their prayers get answered. Their faith isn't in prayer. Their faith is in God himself and his goodness. Now that's the first category, God's world. Second category is God's will. The question here is, how does God's will interact with others' others' wills? So a couple weeks ago, I made the point that in the, Father, in, the, in the Lord's Prayer, you have that line, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? So from Jesus' point of view, that assumes two things. One, he assumes that heaven is the place where God's will is done all the time. And two, he assumes that earth is a place where God's will is done some of the time. And prayer is how we live in that tension. Why? Because on earth, there are other wills at play. First, there's God's will. Secondly, as a human, I have a will and a body to enforce my will on the world. So do you. So does the person to your right and left. So do the other seven plus billion people on the planet, a will and a body to enforce their will. Some of those wills are bent on in the direction of God the Father and toward all that's good and beautiful and true. Others of those wills are bent on flat-out rebellion against God and toward death and mayhem and destruction. Then there's, there's spiritual beings. The universe is full of not only human beings, but spiritual beings. Or if you prefer, angels and demons or whatever language you like. Once again, some of those, some of those beings are good, some are evil. And in the same way that you and I have freedom, they have freedom either to follow God or not. Now, there is 
There's disagreement in the historic church on how all this works. Okay. Some people emphasize God's sovereignty or his control. Others emphasize human and spiritual and natural freedom. I'm a bit more on that side. Really, the question that followers of Jesus disagree on is, how often does God override other people's will? That's the question. And really, the deeper question underneath that is, what kind of God is God? So here's my take along with Greeks. Uh, number six, free will. Some prayers aren't answered because God will not force a person to do something he or she does not want to do. A lot of our prayers are essentially for God to override somebody's free will. An example might be praying for a wayward child. That's not a bad thing to do. But I think that God will rarely override your will or mine. Why? Because God is love. And in the universe, God has chosen to actualize love as the highest value. And love demands freedom. It demands a choice. No free will, no love. And it's not that God can't override human will. He can and he does at times. But I think it's against his nature to override our freedom. No matter what you believe about God's sovereignty, his kingdom is not a dictatorship. Satan is the one who controls, who manipulates, who dominates with brute force. God's the one who influences, who romances, who woos, who draws, who invites you into relationship. God is love, but the world is a free, dangerous, beautiful place to call home. Greg writes this. Next slide. Lodged in the reality of human free will, we recognize terrible danger, yet also the highest potential in the universe. I believe that it is this potential that is unlocked in Christian prayer. When Jesus promised miracles to those who pray in accordance with the will of God, he was not so much laying down a condition as making an observation. When a human being, by the power of God's grace, expresses a desire that is rooted not in his or her own selfishness, my will, but rather in God's plan for creation, thy will, such a posture re reverses the bias of the fall in that individual's own life and reestablishes a little piece of Eden through him or her on earth. However, the very power of human choice that can release the purposes of God in prayer can also be used to resist God's will. Now, does that mean we should never pray for God to work in another person's heart or life? No, not at all. I would argue it means that we should pray for influence, not control. Which leads me to number seven, which is influence. Some of our prayers aren't yet answered because they're working gradually and not as a mechanism for forced control. So God, I believe, does not like to use control but he does like to use influence. Prayer is not control. It's not a way to control other people. It's a mode of relational influence over people that we love and care about. That's why it's, why it's so important to keep at it in prayer, to not let up, to let the Holy Spirit lead and guide your prayers in your life because influence takes longer than pure control, right? On that note, number eight, reason is this. God's best. Some prayers aren't answered because God has something better for us. How many of you could tell a story about how you prayed for something and it was like a no-go, and then later, like years later, a couple years later, whatever, you said, oh, I'm glad God did not answer my prayer. Yeah, 
I have like a whole list of stories like that. I'd have a Ferrari I couldn't pay for at this point. Uh, God's a father, and we are his sons and his daughters. And just like any good, wise father, he often knows better than we do what we need. And honestly, he often knows better than what, we, what it is that we think we actually want. Study after study shows that humans are notoriously terrible at predicting what, makes, what will make them happy. We think we do. We do not. It is that the grass is always greener on the other side. And sometimes it's greener because it's astroturf. I'm sorry, that's a terrible analogy. I'm sorry about that. (laughs) The point is, often he knows better. And so often he says no in mercy because he has something better for us down the road. Or maybe it's not even about you or me at all. It's something better for the world. And it's worth the cost that you and I have to pay through suffering because of the good that will come out of it for our children or for the world. We have to be okay with that. To trust God enough to have peace with that, sometimes God has something better. If God always answered my prayers exactly how I wanted him to, his involvement in my life would be limited to my imagination and my insecurity, really. But he has so much more for you and me. Number nine, motive. Some prayers aren't answered because they are, in fact, selfishly motivated. James, in his letter to the church in Jerusalem, points out two reasons that prayer often goes unanswered. One, that we don't ask. Two, we ask with wrong motives. Some of our prayers are just spiritualized, a spiritualized mask for worry or greed or anger. Augustine wrote about, about prayer, he said this, quote, he said, Augustine wrote about some prayer as, quote, worrying in God's direction. Why you pray is just as important as what you pray. Reason number 10, which is relationship. Some prayers aren't answered because God himself is a greater answer than the thing you're asking for. And he wants to use our sense of need to draw us into deeper relationship. So question, why do we have to ask for things more than once? Why do we have to wrestle with God? One reason is that if God were to answer every single one of my prayers right away, or our prayers right away, our relationship with him for, the most, for most of us would devolve into that of a debit card to an ATM machine rather than a child to his or her father. And what God is after more than anything is relationship. The main point of prayer isn't getting what you want from God. It's getting God himself. So that's category number two, God's will. One more category, God's war. Hanging in there? Okay. Um, One of the things we often forget living in a secular society is the reality of spiritual warfare. I think of the story of Daniel. It's a bizarre story. Daniel's wrestling with God in prayer, fasting for three weeks. Heaven is silent. No answer to prayer. prayer. Literally, all he's doing for three weeks is prayer and fasting. When finally an angel comes to him, it's a bizarre story. He says, oh, I'm sorry. I heard you the first time. I got stuck. 
I got stuck with the prince of Persia, the spiritual being with power and authority over the nation of Persia. I had to wait for Michael. We were wrestling some kind of spiritual war. I got hung up for a few weeks. So go ahead and factor that into your prayer life, I guess. Just think about it. Sometimes unanswered prayer has nothing to do with God or nothing to do with human beings at all, but maybe spiritual beings. The cliche is God answers every prayer one of three ways, right? Yes, no, or not yet. Well, life's a lot more complex than that. What if God says, absolutely, but then the prince of Persia or the prince of northeast Ohio named Gerald, maybe that's his name, maybe he's like, absolutely not. There's a conflict. So reason number 11 is spiritual opposition. Some prayers aren't answered because God's will is being directly contradicted by, quote, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It's a a line from Paul's letter to Ephesus. He says, uh, next slide, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Notice, not just like a full frontal assault, but his schemes. He's smarter than that. For a struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And many in our culture now would say, what a ridiculous thing to say. You, like, you actually believe in Satan? Yes. I believe that evil is personified and real. See, the problem is, if you don't have Satan in your worldview then who becomes Satan? Other people. Our, your boss, your spouse, the, the politician of choice. People become Satan in your mind's eye because we have to have an outlet to vent our anger at the injustice and the oppression of the world onto. If you don't have an evil one, it becomes people. And this doesn't mean you have to like go out tonight and start like, Screaming at demons on the street or whatever. All you're told here to do is stand. Right? You're not told to pick a fight. You're not told to map out territory, anything like that. In fact, there are warnings against that in the New Testament. You're just told to stand. Think about Jesus in the desert. He prays. He quotes the Bible. He says no. He does it again. Prays, quotes the Bible, says no. Does it again. Prays, quotes the Bible, says no to the tempter. That's it. Number 12, faith. Some prayers aren't answered because we just don't believe they will be. The Bible has much to say about faith. You know, it seems that we start our prayers with like three or four disclaimers. Don't we? It's like, okay, God, before we pray for healing, if you don't want to heal today, that's okay. And we trust you no matter what. And if you're, you know, if we're off or if we're missing something and I love the heart posture, but where's the faith? Like, where's the contending? Where's the shameless audacity? And when I say faith, remember, don't hear that and think like psychological certainty. That's not what faith is. Faith is covenantal. It is knowing the character of God and saying, God, you said this, I believe it. I believe in your nature and your character. I entrust my life to you in this area. That's faith. Number 13, perseverance. Some prayers just haven't been answered yet. Whether your prayers are being resisted by mysterious spiritual forces, 
by stubborn people or even by God himself. We don't give up. It could be that Michael is off fighting Gerald. Or your motivation is wrong or God has something better for you. Or it could be a combination. We have no idea. We rarely know why our prayers go unanswered. The point is, delay is not necessarily denial. So until you know for sure God himself is saying no, keep at it. In the language of Jesus, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Don't stop. Reason number 14 is sin. Some prayers are an answer because of areas of disobedience in our life. So next slide. Take a look at Psalm 66. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. There are times God does not answer our prayers, not because he's a jerk, but in mercy to force you and me to deal with sin in our own life. Sometimes the most loving thing God can do is not answer your prayer because of cherished sin. And finally, really fast, number 15 is justice. Some prayers aren't answered because of our disregard for the needs of others in our community. There's a line in Isaiah. So next slide, listen to this. This is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free. Remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. Then when you call, that could be translated pray, the Lord will answer, yes, I am here. He will quickly reply. Meaning, after you deal with the injustice in your city and in your world, then I'll answer your prayer. So there you have it. 15 reasons why prayers, prayers go unanswered. Now, please hear my heart behind this morning. It's not to decrease your faith. So if you walk away thinking, boy, the odds of my prayers getting through are like nil, that's not my heart at all. I want to help you understand unanswered prayer because at best, the end result is of unanswered prayer is like you're scratching your head thinking, what the heck, God? Or worse, it's a crisis of faith or loss of faith or anger at God. So I just want us to understand a little better. And honestly, I hope to increase your faith in your prayer life. None of this, well, like God either says yes or no or not yet. None of that. No, it's way more complex than that. This is why we don't stop. This is why we pray and we keep at it about the huge things in the world and in our community and in our family and about the little things. Pray for that open parking spot. Why? Because God may say, yeah, here's a parking spot. And because people who pray about the little things for the most part are the most grateful people. Have you noticed this? People that pray about the little things, who pray for a parking spot and other little things, often are the most grateful people I know because they see everything to an answer to prayer. They see it as a gift from the Father. That's a great way to live. Now, I know some of you are here and you're just, you're living in the reality of unanswered prayer. You're living between the promise of Jesus and the reality of disappointment and heartache and confusion. And that's tough. That's a tough place to be. And what do you do about that? I think the short answer is you pray. Specifically, pray an ancient form of prayer that we call lament. There's a collection of ancient Hebrew prayers in the Bible called the Psalms. And 
The Psalms are essentially the prayer book of Scripture. The Psalms are there to teach you and me how to pray. And guess how many of the Psalms are lament? Anybody know? The majority. About two-thirds of the Psalms are lament. Let me read you one example. Next slide. Psalm 13. O Lord, how long will you forget me? Notice there's no like, our Father in heaven, there's no thank you, there's no wake up with a cup of coffee, hold it in your hands beside the window. No. Oh Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul? With sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will die. Don't let my enemies gloat, saying we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. But I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. That phrase, how long? It's a visceral gut ache over unanswered prayer. And it's an expression of lament, of faith and doubt, of hope and despair, of frustrated longing over this, is, this isn't how it's supposed to be-ness of life. It's in the Bible. And it's there as a template for how you and I are to pray. See, one of the reasons I love the Bible is because it's brutally honest. If the Bible is propaganda, it's the worst propaganda ever. It's full of doubt and anger and violence and sin and mistake after mistake after mistake. And the mercy of the Father on every single page. And one of the things that you learn from prayers all over the Bible, not just in Psalms, is that prayer, prayer isn't a place to be good. It's a place to be honest. A lot of us think prayer is boring. I think that's because what we do is not actually prayer. It's pretending. Prayer is when you pour out your soul with the edit button off and you vent it all, all to God and you pound your chest. That's prayer. You meet God in the place of pain. So our, our homework for the coming week is to lament. Be honest with God about your frustration. This is part of living a supernatural lifestyle. It is at the core of life with God in the kingdom. Doubt and frustration and faith and hope all mixed together. So this week, own a supernatural lifestyle by lamenting. L- a lament is at best when, it's, when you vent everything that's in you with no edit button and no filter. The good, the bad, the ugly. You vent in brutal honesty with your father. And you release it into your father's hands. And you trust him and his good intentions toward you. We know his character. And we, we lament with that in mind. That's why almost, you see it here, that's why almost all the laments in Psalms start with anger, confusion, a question, and end in worship. Because the art form of lament, when it's done well, isn't just whining to God, but it's worshiping. Amen. Bruce, you want to come forward? Bruce is going to finish up for us.
Amen. How you doing? You know, I just really appreciate our God. That he is not fragile. Uh, our honesty before him is welcomed. And he just loves us because that's who he is. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, like Chris said, I think oftentimes we feel like we have to put on a good face before God or pretend uh, when God really wants our hearts. And the bottom line is we can trust the character of God, that he is who he says he is. God is love. He wants the best for us more than we do for ourselves. And he knows what the best is more than we know for ourselves. And so we, bottom line is we can we can go to the bank with God being a loving father. And uh, we can rest in that. That means we can let go of worry. Uh, when things aren't going our way, doesn't mean that God is not faithful. Uh, we just need to know and trust in who he is. And so I just want us to stand here um, and if there's, there is something you've been wrestling with, uh, uh, perhaps a uh, disappointment, uh, you feel like there's an unanswered prayer that God is, hasn't broken through yet, uh, I just want you to give that over to God. Uh, yeah, if the ministry team could come up, that would be awesome. Um, and let's, let's, you know, let... You know, the enemy wants to throw stumbling blocks in our way. I mean, that's his job. Um, but God wants to redeem those and turn those into stepping stones. He wants to use those things to bring us higher. And so this, this situation or circumstance or whatever, you know, is not meant to throw you off. It's meant to bring you closer to Jesus. And it is all about our walk with him and our relationship with him. Um, how the prayer is answered is really small and compared to that. And so, Jesus, we just turn over these things uh, in our hearts to you, Lord. Thank you that you are fully trustworthy, Lord, that you have chosen gladly to give us the kingdom, Lord, that there's nothing that you're holding back from us, Lord. Um, that was the temptation that, that the devil said to Eve, Lord, you're not holding back on us. You want, you want the best for us, Lord. And so, Lord, I just pray that we could grow in, our, in the knowledge of who you are and in our faith and in just trusting you, Lord. Uh, that last song we sang, uh, just simply resting and trusting in your love, Lord God. Thank you, Jesus. In our class this morning, I mentioned how we're not going to posture ourselves in a way that we need to see it to believe it. We're going to believe God until we see it. And we're not going to change our interpretation of the Word of God to match our experience. We're going to let the Word of God change us until our experience matches that of Jesus's. And so, Lord, we do this. Just um, posture ourselves that way, Lord. 
we believe you and trust you and know that you're a good, good father. And we know uh, that you want heaven to come to earth and heaven to touch, impact our lives and the lives around us, Lord. And so we pray to that end, Lord. Let your kingdom come. And let your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. So I just encourage you to come up for prayer. Any need is, is worthy of prayer. And so come on up. These people love to pray. And, uh, and if you want to see even the, some of the things that were mentioned here today, uh, yeah, bring those before the Lord. Thanks so much. Love you all.